Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio Network. Our purpose on Journey to Success Radio is to interview and promote people who are making a positive difference in this world. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm a Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor and speaker, helping people to live positively with and through the many and varied challenges of life. I've had rheumatoid arthritis from my jaw to my toes since the age of five. That's 45 years now, and in that time I've had four hips, four knees, and two shoulders replaced, which makes me sound like a spider, and I've also been hospitalized about 40 times. I stand about five foot one, hence my nickname, Too Tall, and that's due to the heavy doses of the steroid prednisone that I took to fight my arthritis. Despite those physical challenges, I always answer amazing when asked how I'm doing. I tell people that 80% of the time it's true, and the other 20% of the time, it's to remind myself that it's true. Find out more about me at my website and this interview at Tom, the number two, and tall, T-A-L-L, dot com. My guest today is Wally, how do you pronounce your last name, Wally, properly? Hulk. Hulk. Wally Hulk. He has a Ph.D., a cure for the deadly disease known as the typical Performance appraisal. Oh, who likes those? Wally holds a doctorate in organizational leadership from Warren National University, a Master of Business Administration in Finance from Iona College, and a bachelor's degree in philosophy from the University of Pennsylvania. He's a certified speaking professional. Someone like myself knows what that means, or a CSP, and that's uh, the speaking industries. Uh, measure of professionalism and platform skill, and it's a high level. Uh, for 18 years, his consulting firm, Optimum Leadership, has consulted with dozens of organizations and coached hundreds of individuals in improving leadership skills, employee engagement, and performance. He embraces Dr. Edward Deming's theory of profound knowledge to assist leaders to develop and remove obstacles in the system's that block effective performance. He's a professional or, professor of organizational change and development at the University of New Haven in Connecticut and has received the highest ratings of all professors in 2012. Welcome to the show today, Wally. Tom, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, it's a pleasure to hear uh, some of your personal story as well. Now, those are a lot of initials after your name. (laughs) (laughs) You need two business cards. I'm not going to go to school anymore, I promise. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) one of the greatest principles that Napoleon Hill talks about, the most important one, is uh, definiteness of purpose. And you've uh, really honed in on leadership, organizational leadership, and and so how did, it, uh, how did you get to the point where this is your definite purpose or your passion, so to speak? Uh, uh, because obviously with uh, all of that you've done, this is something you've found as your God-given skill, talent, and ability to pursue. So how did you become so passionate about this leadership thing? Well, you know, like anything else in life, it's, a, uh, it's an evolution. You know, you evolve into it, and uh, uh, I, I think what I, uh, how I would answer that is I, I need to be reminded of these principles every single day to keep my head straight and to, um, and to influence people. And so, 
you know, a, a lot of times people teach things that they have to try to remember themselves. So uh, I guess uh, coming from a, a perspective of humility, I'd like to say that uh, I'm learning every day about these, and I'm learning by sharing these ideas and these principles. And, um, and I, uh, I, I made so many mistakes that I, you know, I hit bottom with regard to how my life was going, that I had to question everything. And uh, uh, just a short story about that. In 1980, I read this book called uh, The Turning Point, which is kind of an interesting title for a book and for what it did for me. And it, it taught me about systems thinking, and it made me realize I was miserable at my job. I was working for a Fortune 500 company. I was absolutely miserable. I had no idea why I was miserable. And this book began to explain why I was miserable, because I was taught all the wrong things. So from that day forward, I just decided I am going to help others to learn what I just learned. And, uh, and because it, it can help you to not be miserable anymore if you think in terms, if you change your thinking as a leader, uh, you, you can a- absolutely have joy instead of misery uh, if, you, if you think properly about people and problems. And, and so I've dedicated my whole uh, career to helping leaders to ju- do just that because I believe we've been taught the wrong things. <laughs> exactly. And you're starting with the thoughts, and thoughts are the most important thing. Napoleon Hill said it's the only thing we have 100%, 100% control over. And so uh, helping leaders with that is so important. Now, let's talk about the performance appraisal, because you've kind of picked a... Uh, you've picked an area of business that very few people write about or address. You picked an area of business that everybody or so many people have gone through at some point in their lives, usually done poorly. Um, and so how did you come upon this performance review topic, and why is it such a why is the typical performance review so dysfunctional or improperly done? Okay. Well, uh, again, uh, another personal story. Uh, how did I, how did I come upon this particular subject? I had a, an extremely bad experience uh, with a performance appraisal when I was working for a large organization. I was, I was working as a salesperson, and I was working my way up the ladder. And I had a client call me one day, and they said, "Listen." we want to give you a very large order. Are you ready for this very large order? I said, oh, my God, yes, this is going to, you know, I'm going to be a hero if uh, you give me this order. He said, well, this is what we're planning to do. It's a million-dollar order, which at the time, that was, uh, well, it's still a lot of money today, but at the time it was even worth more uh, because it was, uh, you know, sometime around uh, in the the early 80s. And... uh, so he said, listen, uh, you know, call me back Friday and I'll give you the confirmation. So I, said, so I told my boss, I said, look, we're, I'm expecting this order. It's only verbal at this point. He's going to confirm it on Friday. Well, he spread the word. The vice president heard about this. He brought me in. They announced it. They awarded me an award before Friday, before I even got the confirmation. And I, I, I didn't lie. I told him, look, this, I just want you to know this is all verbal right now. But they gave it to me anyway, and so Friday, when the guy called me, he apologized. He said, look, we, we have to make a change. It's not about you 
it's not about your company, but we just decide to go someplace, you know, in a different direction. The VP called me in and he gave me a horrible performance review. And he blamed me for losing the order and embarrassing him by giving me this award. And I, so I went from like a hero to a bum in like 24 hours. Whoa. And it just struck, I, you know, it, that just stayed with me. And then when I, I started reading about systems thinking and I read, uh, I'm a proponent in a, in a student, I'm really, I really should say a student of Dr. W. Edward Deming. Deming is the fellow that went to Japan in 1950 and changed Japan by helping them to think differently about manufacturing. And uh, he, he is solely, uh, well, I'd say not solely, but he's mostly responsible for the, re- for the repair after the war, the, this resurgence of uh, Japanese manufacturing, and, which is still famous today. In fact, uh, Toyota follows De- uh, Deming's theory. When I read his books, uh, he said that uh, performance appraisal is a deadly disease. And so I stole that little uh, tagline from him that you read from my bio. And I, I said, this is where I need to focus because I need to help others to understand that this is, this is really causing damage. It's causing damage to people and it's causing damage to morale. It's causing damage to productivity. And it's a habit. It's, a, it's something we've been taught that's wrong. And, I, you know, I don't blame leaders. Uh, I, I just want to re-educate them that there's another option. And they can not, not just avoid the injury that it causes, but they can, they can turn it 180 degrees and turn it from injury to amazing. And, mm-hmm. and that's what I've dedicated my, uh, uh, the last 18 years to do. Wow, and if you could turn, make that turnaround in a company, that can help with so many things, with retention, with performance, with uh, engagement. Um, and I've, I've been a manager. I've had to give performance re- reviews as well. I was just trained by somebody else on how to give them according to the metrics of the, the job. I worked for a management consultant at the time. And so are you saying, like, uh, people shouldn't? Uh, because sometimes a lot of companies, people don't even have a performance review. So if people don't have a performance review, how are they going to get feedback to even improve? And a lot of people don't get one. Yeah, there there, there really is. Uh, it's not mutually exclusive, uh, or I should say it is mutually exclusive. Feedback and a performance review are really two different things. Uh, in fact, they are, by definition, two different things. So... People need feedback, but they can get feedback without a performance appraisal. And that's the, the replacement process that I've created with one of my clients. So we created this 10 years ago. And uh, that's why I wrote the book, Stop the Leadership Malpractice, How to Replace the Typical Performance Appraisal, because there is a way to replace it where you can get feedback instantly. And I call it fearless feedback. You can get it without fear uh, because people want feedback. And, uh, and the performance appraisal is not really feedback. I draw this distinction, so I appreciate you asking. The distinction is feedback is, is data from a process for the purpose of learning. Criticism is opinion or judgment. So I often ask leaders, you know, what, which is the performance appraisal? Is it feedback or is it criticism? 
And by definition, it's criticism because it's it's a manager's opinion about the performance of a an individual of of an employee. And so, by definition, if you look it up in any dictionary, by definition, it is criticism. And nobody wants criticism. It's one of the reasons it doesn't work because people don't want to be criticized, but they do want feedback. In other words, they want data, but they don't want your opinion unless they ask for it. But that's not what a performance appraisal is. A performance appraisal is you must get an opinion from your manager about how you're doing. And so that's, hmm. that's why people hate it, one reason, and it's why managers don't like to do it. Yeah. And yet, uh, when I worked for the management consultant, and performance's appraisal was based solely on four metrics. And so whether you got there early, stayed late, uh, or the greatest person in the world, uh, you were just numbers. And you're like, did you hit this number? No. Yes, did you hit that number? No. And so there has to be some kind of a balance, I would imagine, between the the two between me just saying, well, I feel and I saw and I think to these numbers show. And so um, how do we get a maybe a balance between a simply a pass or fail or one where it's totally subjective based on what your manager feels? Yeah, when think. it's not, uh, it's either subjective where the, the manager is giving their opinion and in fact, I would assert that if you, even though you had those four, was that a pass-fail? Is that what you're saying? You had those four metrics? Yeah, you hit the metric or that. You made X number of dials a day. You did or you didn't. You booked this number of meetings. You did or you didn't. You conducted this many. You did or you didn't. So, yeah. Well, did they give you a grade at the end? No, it was just this was your number. pass-fail. Yeah. All right, so if you got three out of four of the measures, then would that make a difference? We're still you keeping you, but you're not getting a bonus. Ah, you're not getting a bonus. Yeah, see, when you tie pay to it, that's a control technique. And and that's the other reason that that doesn't work, because it attempts to control people's um, behaviors. And what tends to happen is unintended consequences, because there are factors outside. Let me ask you this. In that scenario where you had that pass-fail, were there factors outside of your control that prevented you from reaching those goals? Mm. Honestly, I don't think the goals were attainable, and they were set by the partners. And so, Okay, there you go. <laughs> I don't think it was physically attainable, and out of about ten people, only about two of them would hit them once in a while. And so, oh, there you go. So there were... And, so the, the I felt I was judging them on, on targets that I probably couldn't hit regularly myself. So, the, again, what, what kind of reaction do you get when you put people in that situation? Uh, generally, you get unintended consequences because the intention is that you're motivated and you work 100% or 120%. But when you, if you think that your goal is unattainable, it's unlikely that 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 most people are going to put 120 percent in. They're going to go right. What what the heck am I doing this for? So and it demotivates them because they're like, why would I show up early? These are just numbers. As long as I do those that's, numbers, that's exactly or right. That, you know, why, why should I take out the garbage? Why should I, I, I make it anyway? I'm not going to yeah. make the bonus. 
why should I why should I come in early? Yeah. So it actually has an opposite unintended consequence effect. But there's another unintended consequence. Let me tell you a quick story. Uh, I used to go to Jiffy Lube, and um, I was in there one day. I know I I haven't gone for years now because of this event. But I was in there one day, and I'm waiting for my car. It's supposed to get the oil changed, and the guy comes out. The manager comes out. He says. He says, you know, Dr. Howe, you need a PCV valve. I just want you to know. I said, what do you mean? I said, well, I said, what is a PCV valve? I always said, what's well, for your emissions? I said, but wait a minute. The car doesn't have that many miles on it. I think the, the dealer should have checked that. He said, yeah, but look at, look at this one. And he had it in his hand, and he rubbed his thumb against it. He said, look at how dirty this is. I said, all right, fine. I said, how, how much is it? 20 bucks. Okay, fine. Put it in. So... I'm I'm handed my credit card. I'm at the register. The car's ready. And I look up above the register. There's goals for the week, it says. And it it says, oil changes so many, air filters so many, PCV valves so many. And I said, oh, that's interesting. I said, so you have goals? He said, oh, yeah. I said, where do you get the goals? He said, well, they send them down from the home office. Mm -hmm. And we have to meet them every week. I said, well... That's interesting. I said, do you get a bonus if you meet them? Oh, absolutely. And the guys out in the shop get a bonus, too. Really? I said, how are you doing on them? He said, well, we're doing pretty good. He said, we're, we were a little behind on PCV valves, but we're getting up. <laughs> so the, uh, and you just nodded and handed over your credit card. I said, okay, here's the last time I'm coming in here. Because how can you trust... See, who is he looking out for? <laughs> who is he looking out for? He's looking out for himself. And is that what you want employees to do, or do you want them looking out for customers? Is that what you want employees to do, or do you want them looking out for each other, to help each other? Mm-hmm. See, these things have unintended consequences. Um, I'll give you another example. 158 administrators and teachers got arrested in Atlanta last year for cheating on No Child Left Behind exams. What is No Child Left Behind? No Child Left Behind is you have to teach the kids this stuff. If they learn it and they pass the test, you get money. If they don't, you don't get the money. So they were afraid they weren't going to get the money, so what did they do to save their jobs? They cheated. Now, they're probably good people, but but that's what leadership malpractice is. You put people in an environment that causes them to act out in ways that you don't want, and then you blame them. That's malpractice. That is injury. And that's exactly what a performance appraisal does. Wow. Let's say the name of your book a few times because we only said it once. So Stop Leadership Malpractice. And that's, I'm sure, I went on Amazon. I know I'm going to be selling the book on my website, uh, so it's on Amazon. And so Stop Leadership Malpractice. Stop the Leadership Malpractice. Uh, Cool title, like the title. Very nice. Malpractice, that uh, puts uh, people's attention. Stop Malpractice, so that's a good one. Uh, so stop leadership malpractice, and uh, this is kind of what all this, what that book is about. And so also, I know that when people undergo performance reviews, they rarely come home raving about it. They it puts them down, it makes them feel depressed. Often, they are good people. They do show up early. They do put in extra effort. 
but they still get a bad review. Um, so people really hate them, and they don't like going through them. Um, and so we know why it is. I imagine that managers, <laughs> they're probably like me. They're just trained by someone else, or they've never given reviews before, and someone said, okay, yeah, oh, gosh, yeah, came up on my outlook. we got to do reviews today. Pete, go do <laughs> reviews. Right. Come back to me and let me know how it went. And That's so right. why are they? I guess is that why managers are so poor at giving performance reviews? Because I don't even think this is taught in business schools or anywhere that I know of. Yeah, I think there's, uh, well, there's lots of different reasons why the managers are poor at it. Um, but uh, I think part of it is that we're putting them in a position where they cannot really be successful because we're putting them in a position where they must judge and uh, they must judge an employee's behavior and traits and or characteristics and or performance based on limited data, and they've got to put a grade on it. And so they're really, uh, they're creating a relationship of judge and judged. And whenever you have that kind of relationship, you're damaging the trust between those two people. And trust is a, is a driver or it's a, it's, it, trust is one of the main factors contributing to performance. So what you end up with is actually damaged performance, and people know it. That's why they get upset, and that's why ma and managers know it intuitively too. So we're, we're actually putting them in a position where they cannot really be successful, either the employee or the manager, because the process is flawed uh, at the thinking level. It's flaw, it has flawed assumptions. The, the flawed assumptions are, if I give you a grade and I tell you you're going to give a grade and I tie it to pay, you're going to perform at your best. And you even, you're a good example, uh, Tom, because you, you even said that it damaged your morale by putting it, being put in that position. It's, it's also flawed at the theory level because it suggests that if you improve the parts of a system, you improve the overall system. And that's what I learned from that book, The Turning Point. That's not, a, that's not a consistent thought in systems thinking. Improving the parts of a system does not improve the overall system. I'll give you an example. Uh, let's say you want to buy a new car. So you don't, you don't want to go through the hassle of uh, going to a dealership. So what you do is you you find out who makes the very best parts in all the manufacturers. So you buy the best, you buy the best motor. You buy that from Honda. You buy the best transmission from a Toyota. You buy the chassis from Chrysler. You get the electrical system from GM. And you put it all in a warehouse, and you hire an engineer, and you say, put that together for me, because those are the very best parts. And he or she will look at you and go, okay, would it work? No, because it's the interaction between the parts that's more important than the quality of the parts themselves. And, and if, you don't, if your listeners don't believe me, think about Enron. What Enron did was they chose the very best talent and they turned them loose and they forgot about the interactions between the talent and the whole thing imploded. And that was one of the factors is because they didn't care about the interactions between the parts. They only cared about the talent themselves. 
And, and that's what a lot of HR managers do today. That's what a lot of managers do. They say, let's, let's get the best talent. But, but what do you mean by talent? Is it, is it the best person? If you get the best uh, basketball player in the country, but he or she cannot interact with the other players, you're not going to have a winning season. So it, it's about the interactions, not about the parts. And that's the other flaw. And that's why it fails. And, and what the, the mistake that HR leaders make is they think that if we just train managers, they'll be able to do the performance appraisal better. And it's, it's wrong. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of money because you're never going to be able to improve the interactions when you have a judge and judge relationship. Mm. You, you have to create a partnership, and that's what I've done with my book. I've created a way that a manager and a, an employee can be a partner to figure out how do we improve our interactions, and that's going to improve the whole organization. Amazing. And that book is called Stop Leadership Malpractice. <laughs> Stop the now, Leadership Malpractice. Now, I know, Wally, that there's some companies like General Electric, especially, uh, oh, come on, how come on, whatever, the back in the day, what was uh, his name that was so famous? Jack Welch. So back in his day, he would fly from plant to plant, office to office, and basically all he would do is meet and talk about his people. And they spend an inordinate amount of time on performance reviews. And so how do you explain how some organizations put so much commitment into those performance reviews? Yeah, that's a really powerful question and a big challenge question. To me, so I appreciate you asking that. And the way I look at this is, uh, Jack Welch has the very best of intentions, and he's a very smart guy. He was also very lucky. He was uh, in the '80s uh, that he uh, was uh, CEO of General Electric, and he had a great strategy, and he had some great people, and he did focus on the performance appraisal. And he he set something up which he hates the name of this. It's called Rank and Yank where the, the top 10% get all the bonuses, the middle 80% get uh, you know, to keep their job, and the bottom 10% get to lose their job. And he, you know, that's what he had set up. Now, other organizations have tried that, and they have, uh, they have gotten rid of it because it's so damaging for all the, all the reasons that we've already talked about, relationships, trust, and, and also results. Now, GE is still has that, but on the other hand, their stock has dropped by about 70% since Jack Welch left. So either he was really good at giving feedback or, you know, uh, <laughs> or I, I, I don't pretend to, to be smart enough to know all the reasons because it's very complicated. But I would suggest to Jack Welch that his theory is flawed and he could have even done better if he had had higher level of trust. And there's nothing, and it's, there's nothing wrong with giving people challenging feedback, but you don't have to do it by ranking them. Because when you ask the average person, and there's a lot of smart people that, a lot of smart people work for GE. If you ask the average person, are you a top performer? Guess what the answer is? Yes. 85% of the time, people think they're a top performer. Well, if that's true, you, you can't meet that expectation by ranking them. 
you can't, you just can't meet it because not 85% can't be in the top 10%. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> mathematically, it's not possible. So it, it just, it undermines what he wants to do. And that's, and I don't, I don't, you know, I hold, uh, I hold Jack Welch to a higher standard because he should know better. He's very smart. And if I had him on the phone right now, he and I would have a very powerful conversation. But I bet, I bet we could agree that you can give feedback without ranking somebody and you can help them perform better without grading them. Mm-hmm. And that's the mistake I assert he made. And, and it, if we eliminate that stuff, we can still give them feedback and, uh, and, and really make a huge difference. Wow. Okay, so now, Wally, let's put the rubber on the road because we're having managers going to be listening and other people listening that have to implement this. So now I'm coming to a performance review with you. How are okay. you, how would you do it? What would you do differently so that other people can also learn how you would do it differently so they can do it as well when they have to do their next review? That's, gr- uh, that's a great question. That's a great question. So let's say you're coming to me for a performance review. So let's just role play for a second. Mm -hmm. The first thing I would do is I would share with you, Tom, here are the behaviors that I think I need to be held to in order to be the best manager in this department and and be the best coach and, and help for you to be successful. Here are the behaviors, and they're very specific, and they're observable, and they have to do with integrity, and they have to do with being respectful, and they have to do with uh, focusing on customers. And so if, if the listeners are interested, in the book, there's a listing of these behaviors. And what you and I would do right up front is I would show you those behaviors, and I'd say, this is what I want to hold. I want you to hold me to this standard of, uh, for example, making agreements and keeping them. In other words, I, if I make an agreement with you, I want you, if I break that agreement, I want you to let me know. If I'm at the least bit disrespectful to you, I want you to let me know because I, I want to do everything I can to always be respectful to you. Uh, if I'm not focusing on our customer, I want you to tell me. And I want to be able to do the same with you. Can you and I make that agreement that will give each other feedback instantly if there, we have any problem with these behaviors. Can, we do, can you and I do that? And so I might ask you that question. What might you say uh, if, I, if I asked you that question? Well, I, I would be happy to do that, although I'm probably going to be a little bit nervous pointing out uh, where, where you fall down on some of these things. Uh, but if we're both fair with each other, I guess I can do that. Yeah, why why might an employee be nervous about giving feedback to their boss? Uh, because they don't want to have another performance review less as good as this one. No, uh, exactly. are not always. I'm not, not always comfortable sharing how their boss falls down on their job. But exactly. See, the performance appraisal existence is a barrier to telling the truth. And 
how can you have a high-performing organization if you are not willing to tell the truth? Mm. See, that, that's the, you just hit the heart of it right there. The fact that if, if, if I have a tool where I can judge you as the employee, why would you tell me the truth if it might damage uh, that rating that I have for you, mm-hmm. especially if it's tied to pay? So the performance appraisal damages the ability to tell the truth to each other. Now, you tell me how that's not malpractice. Exactly, exactly. It creates so, the opposite effect of what it's really intended. You, you can't have high performance without the truth. <laughs> yeah. You just can't, it's just not possible. And the truth can't always, can't just come from down, from up to down. It sometimes has to come from down to up. It's got to be both ways. It's got to be a partnership. It's got to be a cross. It's got to be a partnership. So the first thing you, so the second thing I would do, I would say, Tom, how am I doing on these behaviors? I really want your opinion on this. Please tell me, am I following this or is there something I can improve with you? and I listen to you, and I acknowledge, and I make new agreements. Okay, you know what? A couple times I've been late for meetings. That felt disrespectful. From now on, I'm going to be on time every meeting, and I I really appreciate you mentioning that to me. So we go through that conversation, and then I turn it around, and I say, okay, now, are you ready? Can I give you some feedback? And so I might give you some feedback about those behaviors. So the first thing we do is we talk about our behaviors with each other. Now, nothing that we're talking about goes in writing. This is all a conversation between two people attempting to make a better relationship and a higher level of trust so that we can accomplish uh, higher uh, standards and achieve more and achieve goals and solve problems together. See, how can you solve problems with people that you can't trust? Mm. So that's the first thing we do is we build that trust with interpersonal interactions. And then we ask, okay, now, what are this, how is the system impacting you? And how can I help you remove barriers preventing you from doing a better job? What is getting in your way? What can I do to help you to remove those barriers? And we talk about that. So that's what I call improving interpersonal interactions and systems interactions. So remember, it's not about grading the person. It's about together as a partnership, looking at the interactions and improving those as a partner. That's, hmm. that's what the new performance appraisal is about. Hmm. So what barriers to doing a better job include? Well, geez, you know, my son has... Uh something on Wednesday mornings at school and, you know, I need to come in at 9.15 instead that day. Uh, I like doing work at night sometimes uh, after kids go to bed and, you know, if I have a, do it on my laptop. Is that kind of what you're talking about, barriers to doing yes. a better job? Because that also is barriers to them being happier in their life as well as how That's exactly their life right. would fit into their job. That's exactly right. That's a life-work uh, balance, right? So you can work out life-work balance barriers. But there's other barriers as well. In fact, uh, I just uh, worked with uh, one of the largest, uh, about the third largest Mer- Mercedes-Benz dealer yesterday. 
and we conducted uh, a meeting with their uh, service people. And I asked them this question. I said, what's getting in your way? What's stopping you from better service, you know, servicing more cars and doing a better job with customers? And they named off 50 th- barriers, like, uh, you know, uh, the information we get is often incomplete. Uh, the people at the front desk could ask better questions. Uh, we don't get the information that we need when the customer walks in. Sometimes the customer is not where we think they are. They should be, and so we have to go look for them. Sometimes we have to look for the car. We can't find the car because somebody else parked the car. So there's all these barriers that get in the way that if they didn't have to deal with that, they could service the customer better. They service the customer better. The customer is going to go home and tell his friends or her friends, you can't believe the service that I got at the Mercedes dealer. I think you should buy a Mercedes because this place is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's what we're really good at in, in America, in U.S. companies, is we're really good at recovering from problems. What we're not good at is being leaders that enable employees to eliminate barriers and problems first. Uh, so we're, we, we, never, we, we always seem to have time to fix the problem when we find it, but we don't seem to have enough time to plan ahead and eliminate the problem from ever happening. And if, in fact, I have a quick story on that. I don't know. Do, do, can I we got time, story? and I'm yeah. interested, so roll on. <laughs> okay. Um, so I, I, I took a flight to uh, um, I took a flight to Denver, and I hate to check a bag. Everybody hates to check a bag, right? But I had to check a bag because what's the first thing you're thinking of when uh, when you check a bag? Oh my God! I if I have anything that's so important, I'm afraid I'm going to lose it, right? Or it's yeah. going to be delayed, and 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 so I had training materials in there, which I needed for the very next day. So I was nervous, but I had to check it. It was overweight. I couldn't fit, you know, in the overhead, whatever. So I get down to the uh, to the carousel. You know, I'm waiting in the carousel. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And it's like it's like 15 minutes, and I'm thinking, oh my god, this is ho- oh my god, the bag is lost. This is horrible. <laughs> so I go up to the baggage guy. And I said, you know, I, I think my bag is lost. What do, what do I do? You know, where's the? What, do, what am I going to do? He said, well, what time was? What time's your flight get in? And, and I told him, uh, you know, I said it was like uh, 14 minutes ago. He said, well, our average delivery of bags is 15 minutes. I said, it is. He said, yeah. He said, why don't you give it another minute? I turned and looked at the at the carousel and my bag started to come down the ramp <laughs> after I turned I turned around now that guy has figured out how to resolve and eliminate problems and not just look for the bags he figured out a way to make sure the bags get there and get there within a predictable amount of time he that's what I'm talking about. That's what we have to do more of. We've got we've to have eliminate the barriers so people can do their best work and have it be predictable. It's this lack of predictability that causes us to want to have a performance appraisal because we think people are the problem. It's not the people that are the problem. It's the system that's the problem. 
And if we don't focus on the system, we never fix the problems. And that's part of the malpractice as well. We're focused hmm. on the wrong things. So where in the process do we talk about my raise and my extra this and my yeah. different this way? And do we do that in a separate discussion? Or is it part of a, I'll behave this way, you behave that way, we'll help each other, and lowering barriers? And now, in the end, do we talk about money? Do we do that in a different uh, conversation? How do you end it up with uh, measuring, doing this, doing it this way, and relating it to pay? Yeah, no, totally different, uh, totally different discussion in a totally different process than pay-for-performance. I'm not a, a fan of pay-for-performance. I think it's damaged um, It's damaged us beyond, uh, beyond repair. Uh, and I, I pointed out the No Child Left Behind uh, system that we have set up, uh, which is, by, by the way, of the 50 states that are supposed to be following No Child Left Behind, 19 of them have gotten waivers because it's so dysfunctional because it's tied, it's a, it's a pay-for-performance system. So uh, there, there's my data on how pay-for-performance doesn't work. So, so you've got to have a different process for paying people and for rewarding people. Mm-hmm. And the ideal way to do it is some kind of a profit sharing where if, uh, as, long as, as long as Tom and Wally are following those behaviors that I mentioned before, mm-hmm. as long as you and I are... are we're going to make mistakes, but as long as we don't have a pattern of dysfunctional behaviors, we get to participate in a team bonus. Because if uh, if I uh, if I'm performing and you're performing, we're performing together and we're doing different functions. Together, we're we're creating more value for the organization, so we should all benefit. And what I usually recommend is you have some factor in there for longevity. In other words, if, if I've been there 20 years and you've been there one year, that, that <laughs> should be taken into consideration. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if my salary is X and yours is X uh, times 0.9, uh, I should get a, bit, a little bit higher bonus than you because my responsibilities, uh, in theory, are a little bit higher and that's why I get paid more mm-hmm. but there's no reason why you can't split the you can't why, why can't you figure out if the company meets their goals and it generates a certain amount of profit a portion of that profit could go into a, a pool why can't we all share in that pool based on our longevity and our uh a percentage of uh, total of uh, salary divided by total salary in the company. Why can't we do that? And if we did, wouldn't that inc- improve the cooperation and interactions between us? So we're not competing with each other because you don't uh-huh. want people competing with each other. Right. It, it damages Ooh. performance. So you mean for the price of a book? You can it can make this much difference in everyone who gives a performance review and everyone who receives a performance review, and they don't have to take an MBA class or 
some long, convoluted training course. <laughs> so stop leadership malpractice. Uh, I guess anyone who's a manager, anyone who's in HR, anyone who gets a performance review, anyone who works probably should read the book. I, I couldn't have said it better. I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better. And no, you don't, need, you don't need to go to... I mean, it wouldn't hurt to go and uh, get more education, but... I, I created this in partnership with one of my clients. We sat down with an HR expert, with a with a uh, a uh, 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 with a couple of employees who are uh, were uh, operations specialists, and we created this process ten years ago. And uh, my 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 clients are using it and very successfully. And, and it, what's interesting is that the process hasn't really changed much in the last 10 years because it works so well that there hasn't been a need to really change it. So the, the design that uh, my client put together, and they're still using it today uh, extremely successfully, and, and nobody will go back. Nobody wants to go back to the old way because, um, because the old way is so painful. So hmm. uh, the answer is yes, <laughs> buy the book. You can get these secrets. Absolutely, wow. that's why I wrote the book. Wow. Uh, so people, no reason uh, you should be buying this book. No reason you shouldn't be buying it, reading it, and implementing it in your company. As you're a manager, it's going to make your life a lot easier. And if a you lot can do easier. That, if you can do that for uh, less than the cost of a meal with yourself and your wife, then you really should go out and do that. So stop leadership malpractice. Learn how to do these performance reviews properly. Even if you're not a manager, get the book. Uh, perhaps you can help your company implement a better process. Uh, what do we say in Canada? Process, and you say process. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, maybe you can help your company implement a better procedure for uh, implementing performance reviews and appraisals at your company because uh, I've been through them and I've been through and given them and um, probably I didn't do either one of them perfectly well because I really hadn't studied it before. And so stop leadership malpractice. Thanks so much for your time today, Wally. I think uh, the work you're doing has the potential to eliminate a lot of stress, create higher engagement, and really turn businesses around with one simple thing that people undergo once or twice a year. And so you've picked a, a really good niche that, if implemented properly, can really, really, really do a lot for the culture of a company. Uh, I, appreciate, I appreciate it, Tom. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about it. Thanks for your passion and great questions, and God bless. Appreciate it. Have an amazing day. Take care. All right. Thank you.